Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. One o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. One o'clock hour underway everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone, for that matter. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison joining us here. Query and Company on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Big story of the day. Anthony Richardson, now we officially know, out for the season for the Indianapolis Colts, electing to have surgery on his right shoulder after suffering a sprain on said shoulder against the Tennessee Titans. Joining us now on the hotline, a guy that took snaps for Indiana from 1993 to 1996, threw for over 3,100 yards for the Hoosiers, did Chris Ditto, and did so, if I'm not mistaken, after twice having surgery similar to Anthony Richardson. But first off, Chris, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you calling in. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jake, Jimmy. Really, um, yeah, glad to talk to you guys today. Okay, let's begin with this. So you you said that you had this surgery twice. Um, take me through the first one. What, when exactly in your playing career? I mean, obviously you, you played high school through college. So when did you have the surgery on – we'll begin with your right shoulder. So the right shoulder happened in the fall of 1992, and this was back in the days where quarterbacks did not wear red jerseys. Well, they I think they did at some programs, but Coach Mallory, everybody was live at all times, which – made things a little dicey. And I was running the scout team. It was my true freshman year. I was running the scout team and was tackled, driven into the ground, similarly to the way Anthony was done on Sunday, and my shoulder separated. And it just came out, and I got up holding my arm very close to my chest. And it's very, very painful. And, you know, the, I think the good thing about this type of injury is that, it's very clean. Like it once it's like almost like breaking a bone. Like there aren't any ligaments. There aren't anything that you have to worry about in that regard. And as soon as I saw him land like that, and anytime I see any quarterback land in that manner, I always think I, I'd be, I'm surprised when they don't have a separated shoulder because it's just a, it's just that one little fluke area in how you land where it happens most of the time. So I was able to, that was like early November. I was actually able to kind of finish that season and just did some physical therapy on it. And after two or three weeks, they realized that it was not going to heal properly. So they, I I had surgery early to early December and I was back for spring ball by the middle of April feeling perfectly fine. So it's really a, it's really for for me. It was about a three months start to finish rehab and and throwing, which I you know that to me is the good news about this type of injury. Okay, so I'm going to speak here, Chris, and like I mean, let's put it this way, right? I mean, you and I were in Bloomington at roughly the same time, and yeah. and and I graduated like a year ago, so that should tell you my intellectual aptitude here, right? Um, yeah. So the I'm shoulder- not very smart either, so we'll do the best. <laughs> so the shoulder itself, for lack of a better phrase, 
think of like you have a, a baseball, okay, you have the, the, the round part of your shoulder, and then you have the labrum, which is essentially like a bowl that sits on the side of that so that that ball never rolls out of that bowl and the shoulder stays in place. Andrew Luck, right. we know, had compromise of that bowl. The ligaments in that netting of the bowl got compromised, and so therefore the ball kind of rolls everywhere. In your yeah. case, I, I don't know, with Richardson they simply said sprain. Would that mean that it was in fact, and I don't want to falsely be a doctor or, or make you in that case either, but um, the the sur- surgery itself, what exactly did they do and repair for you that would be the surgery that he theoretically would be undergoing? Yes. So I think sprain is just another way of saying separated. And so for me, I had basically my, I think that's my femur, that bone was connected up to my shoulder and then the clavicle. And when it was trying to heal, it was coming back together, not in an exact puzzle. It was coming kind of cockeyed. So they came into my right shoulder and they basically cut out part of my clavicle. So it would match up a little bit better with the two bones would match up better. And there's a, a bone called the a joint in there called the acromium clavicular joint. Those were, that's what needed to match up for it to heal properly. Otherwise, you know, you would have bone spurs, calcium deposits, all kinds of things build up in your shoulder where it just would never kind of heal evenly back together, if that makes sense. And so that ironically, um, that exact injury happened on both my right shoulder and left shoulder. And the timeline was basically the same for both. I mean, in your case, let's say from the time that that you went in and laid down on the gurney to the time that you were throwing again comfortably without thinking about it, we're talking basically four months, right? Yes, absolutely. And and for you know my right shoulder, the the surgery, and you know I was moving it pretty comfortably after about a month and then you know throwing after about two and a half to three months and then really letting her rip after four months so you know obviously i i think this is apple and oranges you know they're 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 thinking about him for the next 10 years i was trying to get ready for for spring ball which was in april which i did and i was ready to play and then again in spring practice uh, I got hit, driven to the ground, boom, left shoulder popped, separated. Same exact surgeries, same exact doctor did the surgery, and, and, and really the same timeline on the recovery. So it's it's one of to be honest, like I said, I'm, I'm surprised that this type of injury doesn't happen more often to quarterbacks. I don't think it means Anthony is any less, you know, stable or, you know, not tough enough to play the position. Obviously, the – the injuries that he got the first few times, I think, are more concerning than this shoulder, this shoulder separation that he's experiencing now. Okay, so as we know, when you look up on the internet, Chris, everything's factual, right? According to this, type 3 yeah. injuries, a type 3 sprain, which is what he was reported to have, is yeah. a sprain where both of the AC and CC ligaments have a complete tear. The AC joint will appear abnormal, although swelling may obs- may obscure the degree of injury. So maybe they needed to wait like a week, right, before they could really determine yeah. what was going on. You did not have ligament tear, correct? No, I did not. And that, that I think, is also a, a blessing. And I'm assuming he doesn't have any either because 
I've had some friends that have torn their la- their labrum. Well, I think he had I think he had the AC joint and, and the AC and CC ligament tear, which is why it was listed as a grade three sprain, meaning yeah. that he had a tear of the ligaments, and that's what had to be repaired. But I would right. imagine it's a similar. I mean, again, I'm not a doctor, but I would imagine it was a similar procedure, right? Yes, I, I'm. I'm guessing that he will. They'll go in and they'll because it was a third degree AC sprain. And I'm guessing they will go in and do a very, very, a very similar injury, assuming there isn't any further damage to any other ligaments. Because if you get, if you're a thrower and you get into that labrum ligament, I mean, it can end careers. It it really can. I've seen it happen because when you tear your labrum, it just becomes so much more susceptible to happening again. So for me, and hopefully for Anthony, it is just. A simple separation. They go in and they clean it up. They put it back together, and he should have 100% mobility. I would think this time, you know, in January, he should be ready to go. Chris Ditto is our guest. Chris, I know that everybody's mentality, everybody's mental health can be impacted differently by injuries, but for you, the mental side of it happening again, like you mentioned, in both shoulders, was it a difficult injury mentally to overcome from? Yeah, yes, for sure. Especially when you know your your whole career depends on your right arm, and you know not knowing exactly if you're going to come back a hundred percent. Because for Anthony being his right shoulder, then he's probably very scared and nervous about being able to throw normally again. And I'm sure he's talking to guys that have had this happen to them, that have had had similar injuries, and giving him a peace of mind that, hey, this is – unfortunately, it's part of the game, and you'll be back better than ever. And for me, you know, I'm 50 years old now, which is hard to believe, but I'm, I haven't had any issue in either shoulders at all, fortunately. And I've got some pretty big, about a two- to three-inch scar on the top of both of my shoulders from where they went in. And, um, unfortunately, I've had zero issues with it. So – um, but the mental part definitely will play a factor. You know, if it was his left shoulder, if it was his left shoulder, hell, he might try and play through it a little bit more. But since it's his right, I think it definitely makes sense to shut him down. Chris, Jake is right about the internet being a wonderful place. Chris Ditto is our guest. So correct me if I'm wrong on this as I've fallen down a rabbit hole. You at one point in time played in NFL Europe and, in fact, played for the Frankfurt Galaxy, correct? That is correct, yes. And uh, yes. I, I learned as well in relief of uh, of Damon Heward in, in a semifinal in the World Cup, uh, or the World Bowl, I beg your pardon, in 98. Yes. You know, ironically, he, he hurt his shoulder in <laughs> the, mid, the middle of the, I guess it was the, the semifinals, and his shoulder came out, and I was the backup at the time, and started in the World Bowl, which is what they called it back then. Um, the same year I was out there, Jake DeLome played for the Amsterdam Admirals. Um, Je- uh, God, Warner, Kurt Warner was also in the league. So it was a, it was a pretty legitimate league, and it was actually it was more fun just to live over in Europe for three or four months. But, but yeah, Damon and I were on the same team, and he obviously went on and had a, a great career as a backup for 10 or 12 years. So the shoulder comes into play a lot. I think we all know for quarterbacks, 
And yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff on the internet about the Frankfurt Galaxy and the Berlin Thunder and that league that I really wish was still around because it was pretty great. Well, the reason I ask that is because the home games for the Frankfurt Galaxy were played at now Deutsche Bank Park, which is where the Colts and Patriots are going to meet up in Frankfurt next month. So I was going to ask you, I know I'm, I know I'm going deeper to the memory bank, but what do you remember about Deutsche Bank Park? I guess at the time, Wald Stadium. Yeah, Wald Stadium. To be honest, it felt old back in 1998. And I just assumed they would be playing in a brand new stadium. But are they really playing yeah. in that stadium? That is unbelievable. Um, I guess it was built for soccer or football. And, it, you know, the great thing about playing in Germany, because at the time they had six teams, they had one in they had a team in London, Barcelona, Amsterdam, Scotland and two in Germany, Dusseldorf and Frankfurt. And we had 50-plus thousand fans at every single game. The German fans really understood the American football game and loved it. So we would play at home in front of 50-plus thousand fans, and you would go to London or Barcelona, and you'd play in in front of about 10,000 fans. So having been and played there, actually played two years, played for the Frankfurt Galaxy one spring and then played for – the Berlin, the Berlin Thunder one spring and had a great time. So I am excited. I did not realize that they were playing in that same stadium. I'm assuming it's had to have taken or gone over a facelift and been upgraded many times over since then. But is it a historical stadium? Like, has it been around a long time? Because it did feel old in 1998. Open in 25. Okay. It's the Wrigley Field. Last renovation was 05. Chris, here's the thing. Deutsche Bank actually separated its shoulder around 84, and they did a quick (laughs) surgery on it, and it was fine by the 85 season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, uh, I hopefully they separate their shoulder a few more times after that. (laughs) Further upgrades. Hey, Oliver Luck, Andrew Luck's dad, ran the Frankfurt yeah. Galaxy like when we were in college, I mean, before you would have been there. But then he was running NFL Europe at the time you were there. Did you cross paths with, I mean, teenage yeah. Andrew or his dad? Well, yeah, absolutely. We would, just because of the success that we had, I mean, there were, you know, if you, since we played in the World Bowl, they did a lot of pomp and circumstance while we were over there. And Paul Tagliabue actually made an appearance as well. So we had dinner with Oliver Luck, Paul Tagliabue. And I don't, I feel like Andrew was less than 10 years old at the time. And he, I definitely remember him running around. He was very. Just yeah, he would have been like eight or nine, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But yes, definitely remember this kid being around Oliver Luck all the time. And much like you will see Paul Tagliabue at games. Oliver Bluck would be at games throughout the season, but he definitely was present during the World Bowl, which well, yeah, which was played in our home stadium because we did play all of our home games at Wald Stadium, and then the World Bowl was also there that year as well. And so it was, you know, it was very, very cool to be able to look back on those years and know the history with Oliver Luck and Paul Tagliabue, and then reminiscing about Andrew Luck as a child also is pretty cool. Uh, Chris Ditto is our guest, by the way, quarterback for Indiana who had shoulder surgery while a Hoosier now runs, obviously, a very successful PR firm here in Indianapolis. Uh, Chris, before I let you go, the state of Indiana right now in terms of football, um, let me tell you what I said on the air. I, I can't recall if it was yesterday or Monday, and then I want you to tell me if you think that I'm being too harsh. Um, all indication, I have not had great 
let me rephrase that. I've not had like personal interaction with Tom Allen. When I have, it has been like in this situation, phone interviews, radio interviews, whatever. Every indication I've ever been given from people who know him is that he is a fine human being and a fine man and would be like the world's greatest next door neighbor, father-in-law, uncle, whatever you want to call it. But in terms of Indiana football and the number of coordinators they've gone through, the trajectory of the program itself, the fact that they're six games in and are still playing quarterback shuffling, etc. While I think he is a dear human being by all account, I feel like it's time for Indiana to make a change at the coaching position and that Tom Allen's time in terms of inspiring those that are playing for him seemingly has come and gone. And it is time for Indiana to make the move to find and cash in on a very high level of future stock of the Big Ten and get somebody in there uh, to redirect the program. Your thoughts? Well, I... I agree with everything you said about Tom Allen, and I've, I've gotten to know him pretty well over the last seven years that he's been there. And I think he is just an incredible person. I also think he's a, a really good football coach as well when he focuses probably as a defensive coordinator. Um, and it, the whole – a couple – I mean, I could talk for an hours about this because I'm very, very passionate about Indiana football and talk to teammates about it over the last 30 years. And it just is a – we are all tortured souls when it comes to Indiana football because of just our history with it and our experience with it. And so Rod Carey was the center when, when I had my first start my freshman year. He was a fifth-year senior, and I was a freshman, and I, I love Rod Carey like a brother – and I really think he will be able to have an impact these last the second half of the season. And when I, you know, when I look at their schedule as a whole, they haven't really lost a game that you would think they were going to lose. Akron would have been a debacle, and that still is very, very concerning how that game ended and how they struggled. But when you look at the remaining schedule, you know, I, the, I'm just going to, I guess make this decision at the end of the year if they go the rest of the year and they don't win another game it's hard not to agree with everything that you're saying but they have you know they do have winnable games they could potentially beat Rutgers they could maybe beat Wisconsin at home they could beat Illinois on the road they can beat Michigan State and Purdue so I would love to talk to you again in four or six weeks and see where they are um, but the whole it's very concerning what they're doing at the quarterback position too, and not being settled on a guy yet. I thought they settled on a guy going into the Louisville game. And I thought that Taven performed well, especially in the second half. So I I guess I'm going to take the cop out answer right now. And I'd love to, if things do not improve and they continue the way they are beyond the Purdue game, then I don't, and see how you can't make a change, to be honest with you, because of you when you combine last year and this year and then going into a recruiting season, you just don't know what you're going to get with the transfer portal. It's just so challenging right now. And you, there's going to be some candidates out there. Now, I, again, I love Tom Allen. I think he is great for Indiana football. Um, but the bottom line is we've got to be more competitive in games. We've got to be more competitive against a team like Michigan. I, do I expect us to win the game? No. But do I expect us to be in the game and look competitive? Yes. So it's it'll be interesting how we perform these last 
you know, the second half of the season with some winnable games on the schedule. If you go to the state of Pennsylvania, do you have to go under assumed identity because Penn State <laughs> fans would know that you cost them a national title? Well, that is just uh, that's hilarious too because yes, it's amazing. Fans do remember that particular game in 1994, and I, uh, you know, it, that was kind of kind of fluky. Again, looking back on some notorious characters on the sideline with Jerry Sandusky being there and Joe Paterno being there, it, it's it's really it's really uh, kind of creepy to think about. But that was an incredible game where Penn State came in ranked number one and fell to number two because we only lost to them by six points, which is kind of funny. But uh, proud to say, yeah, we knocked them out in Nebraska. <laughs> That's right. You, you get free drinks in Nebraska the rest of your life. Yeah, right. There's only six yeah. places in Nebraska to drink them, but you get free drinks in Nebraska yeah. the rest of your life. Hell yeah. Exactly. No doubt. Hey, Chris, we appreciate it, man. We'd love to have you back on as we talk about IU football and really anything else, too. We can talk about the Frankfurt Galaxy for a day and a half. <laughs> Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. Would love to. Well, thank you guys very much for having me, and love the show. Love the the new format with what you guys are doing. You're doing a great job here from noon to three every day. So appreciate you guys everything you guys are doing. Appreciate it, man. Uh, Chris yep. Ditto again, former Indiana quarterback. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Good tweet here from Steven. All NFL players take PEDs. They just keep it within the limits that are allowed. Grove could have taken a shot a couple days early or passed the test the week before, so he took a little more. As your resident tinfoil hat guy, that's a tinfoil hat comment. <laughs> I mean, okay. people have been saying that for years, the validity of it or not, you know. Steven then, of course, says, is it weird that Watson struggles because he hasn't played for, what, like two years, but people still think Kaepernick can start for a team after seven years? I don't think anybody other than Colin Kaepernick thinks that he can start for a team after seven years. Right? Yeah. Uh, joining us now on the show, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so on that segue, <laughs> you can read his work, not just, of course, at one time it was the Colts, now it is league-wide because... The Athletic looked at Zach Kiefer and said, uh, we need to have this guy writing about all kinds of things. And he joins us now on the program. I think, Zach, this might be the first time that I have talked to you where I have been awake. Is that correct? <laughs> Quite a segue. Um, I think this is my first time on Query and Company. I think yeah. I'm making my debut. Well, we we appreciate that. And by the way, uh, that's not to say it's because Zach and I, you know, had pillow talk. It's because in the morning show, I was always asleep is what I was getting at there. Um, Zach, let's begin with this. The NFL, we were just talking about this in Grover Stewart, and, and we'll start there. Um, you would know you've covered the NFL. To me, the thing that's interesting about Stewart is he he – he gets popped. He's out six games for testing positive for a banned substance. And and he basically came out and said, look, I'm really sorry about this. Usually, if it was something that was like a, just a, a really bizarre substance that was in a cough syrup that you didn't realize when you weren't feeling well, you know, guys will come out and say it. This sounds to me like one of those that there are a lot of finite things that a guy could test for and – you know, he probably, after the fact, was like, oh, my gosh, I should have thought about that, should have been aware of it, etc. I mean, how difficult is it for players, do you think, to keep track of what they can and can't take? Yeah, I think I think it's really hard. I think you kind of nailed it. Like, 
these guys are doing all kinds of stuff to keep their jobs, essentially, right? When you're good at your job, like Grover Stewart, there's another guy that's looking to take it. And if you would have told me yesterday before before this news broke, I think Grover Stewart would have – if you would have told me that there was a cult that was going to be popped for PEDs, he may have been the very last person I said, just from my interactions with him over the years. But again, in sports, as we learned over time, you can't make assumptions on anything. Like, I remember when LeRon Landry was popped for steroids, I want to say in 15 – maybe 14 or 15, and we were all like, oh, yeah, like, which week was it? Like, we knew it was coming, right? That guy looked like a cartoon character. With this, it's a little bit different. But, again, it happens, and I don't think Grover Stewart intentionally did anything wrong. But, again, they're doing all kinds of things and putting all kinds of things in their bodies in terms of nutritional supplements, protein, et cetera. And he put the wrong thing in his body, and he's going to pay. It's going to cost him a quite a bit of chunk of money. Now – Zach, the other thing is this, and where Grover Stewart is, and we were just talking about this in the break, how does this impact Grover Stewart's long-term viability with the Colts? I personally say if he's producing, it doesn't. But your thoughts? Well, I believe his contract's up after this year. Signed a three-year deal in 2020 when he was playing really well. Um, They love him in the organization. They really value that three-tech right next to Buckner, that one-tech, whatever you want to call him. He kind of plays a little bit of both. Um, that tandem has been maybe the best part of this team over the last five years. And that's not a good thing, right, when you're not getting that from your receivers or your quarterbacks or or maybe Jonathan Taylor at his peak. But the the reality is, you know, that has been the most consistent position, the interior of the defensive line, and he's a big part of that. Buckner gets a little bit more headlines, but Grover's been tremendous right on the brink of becoming a pro bowler. They're going to have to look at that, and he's going to have to perform when he gets back. Like, there's no way about it, because I think with the news that has come out over the last 24 hours about Anthony Richardson, I think that really changes the viewpoint about what this season is going to be over the next couple of months. You know, they're, they're not going to win a lot of games. I, I just don't believe this team's going to win a lot of games with Gardner Mincher moving forward, and everything's going to be about what they do next year to set up to keep Anthony Richardson on his feet a little bit longer and be a little bit more competitive. So they're going to have a higher draft pick because they're going to lose more games. What does the future look like now that you have that quarterback? Jim Irsay's comments this morning at the NFL owners' meetings makes it very clear that they believe they have the guy. Now they solved that riddle they've been trying to solve since 2019 when Andrew Luck walked out the door. What does the rest of the team look like as you start to build around a quarterback who's going to be on a rookie deal for the next three years? Are you going to be willing to pay a one technique a lot of money? They love Grover Stewart probably back but we'll see what the market looks like for a one tech who's you know missed six games this year do a ped suspension but otherwise doesn't miss a lot of games and makes a lot of plays no one pays attention to national rider for the athletic zach Kiefer making his query and company debut here on the fan zach you mentioned that they feel like they have their quarterback now and i contend that while it's going to be kind of a do-over rookie season for him I saw enough to quell the anxiety that was about Anthony Richardson heading into his rookie season this year in terms of what he was able to do in a small sample size. Do you feel the same way nationally in terms of what you were able to see based on the criticism of, oh, look how many games he started in college. He's going to be overwhelmed by the NFL. They should sit him for a year. Do you feel the same way after seeing him in action? I do. I think he answered those questions in the abbreviated time he spent on the field during his rookie year, and that's the unfortunate part. The reality is it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what one person thinks. 
And Jim Irsay, in very Jim Irsay terms, absolutely believes this is the guy. Now, are they running to that conclusion a little bit quickly? It seems like they might be. Um, but look, the, the thing that I've noticed about Richardson is this. You know, we knew the inconsistencies were going to come. We knew he was going to miss some passes. He was going to make some mistakes. And all that was going to come. He, 13 college starts, right? If you go back to, you know, Peyton Manning played like 45 college games. Luck played like 38 or something. So these guys have so much more coming in. It's how he handled everything that was in front of him. And there's a quarterback in Carolina, Bryce Young, number one. I think we lost Zach. I think we did. Things were going so well. You start we'll, we'll to reconnect with him. Here. You start talking about Bryce Young, and all of a sudden, that's right. Frank Reich, people come after. Frank Reich's no longer calling plays, so he's <laughs> making sure the calls drop. Right. <laughs> I mean, he is right, though. It, it's been a very impressive rookie campaign for a lot of different quarterbacks, and Richardson stood out at times throughout that, albeit in a small sample size. Zach, you were just talking about the, uh, highlighting other rookie quarterbacks, but Bryce Young is where you were headed. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I can hear you guys great now. Um, you know, the, I think the eye test matters a lot. And this is going to play out over the next couple of years, but it just doesn't feel like Bryce Young feels like he's got it yet. Now it's six games in. We'll see what happens. There's a long way to go. But it really looks like C.J. Stroud gets it. And it, from the minute he stepped on the field, I felt like Anthony Richardson belonged. Nothing was too big for him, and that matters a lot. You can fix all the other stuff, and I really do think They've got a really sharp coach offensively and Shane Steichen that will be guiding him. I think they've answered the quarterback question moving forward. It's how they build around him, which is the next step. But really, at least the beat writers in Indy don't have to write about who the quarterback is going to be next year because that's been a cycle that's been exhausting for the last couple of years. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Zach, you spent quite a bit of time on this beat and you got to know Chris Ballard pretty well. I also mentioned earlier in the show that I think next offseason should be built around doing what Jacksonville did for Trevor Lawrence after his rookie year, which is acquiring whatever weapons you think possible and what you deem necessary to help his growth. Do you think that as a front office, they have the capability to address that mindset for key skill positions? That's a really good point, Jimmy, and I agree with you completely. I actually wrote about that a lot this offseason. I wrote a big profile on Christian Kirk, who was one of those pieces they brought in, and I wrote about Trevor Lawrence himself and how late in his rookie year, that dude didn't even want to leave the house. Remember, this was the Urban Meyer debacle. They won three games. They were the laughing stock of the league, and this is a guy that had lost four games total in high school and college, so he wasn't used to this. And what they did in Jacksonville is really interesting and I think really instructive. What they did, they didn't just spend money. They overpaid in a lot of ways for a lot of guys. They went out and brought Brandon Scherf in and they paid him a ton of money and tiered the offensive line. And then they go out and buy Christian Kirk. And everybody across the league says he's overpaid. And in talking to people in Jacksonville, they said, yeah, everyone said he was overpaid. We were fine with that because we were going to pay for character. So in their view, what they wanted to build around Trevor Lawrence They wanted to have the veterans around him that were going to make him better, not just on the field, but off it, and as he grows into that leadership franchise quarterback type situation. And so I think that's kind of what the model should be for the Colts moving forward. Like everyone has these dreams of Marvin Harrison Jr. 
And if you can get him, go get him. He's that freaking good. But I think you need to look for the right type of free agents and the guys you can add around a young quarterback that are going to help him grow. I love Josh Downs. You've got the rookie. You know, Pittman's been here, and he's played for 50 different quarterbacks in five years. But look for not just the best free agents. Look for the right free agents. And the Colts haven't really done that. They've been a little bit too selective, in my opinion, on who they're bringing in. Abu has been great on defense. But I think it's time, if you know you have the guy, to, to go out and pay a little bit more for the right type of free agents, the guys that are going to help really form the backbone of what this team is going to look like the next couple of years. Because and Jim Irsay knows this, and Chris Ballard knows this, even if they won't say it publicly. Irsay will. Ballard won't. Everything is about what you do to help number five moving forward. Everything is about what you do to surround Anthony Richardson the next couple of years. And my former colleague, Stephen Holder, made a really good point this morning. In the back of their minds are the mistakes they made the last time they had a franchise quarterback. Everybody knows what happens. Now, it wasn't solely on the organization, but the Andrew Luck situation is still very much in the back of Jim Mercer's mind, and they're determined not to make the same mistakes and overlook the offensive line and overlook the talent around him because it cost him big in that situation, and it cannot cost them again, because that would just be devastating. Zach, I said earlier, Zach Kiefer's our guest from The Athletic. At the top of the show, what I was saying was, if you were looking at silver linings of Anthony, I mean, it's hard to say a silver lining of a guy being shelved for the year, but maybe this organically forces the Colts to slow down a little bit and be, to your point, more careful in free agency and not do the Andrew Luck. I thought in Andrew Luck, in hindsight, the area where they aired, Zach, was that Andrew Luck was so good as a rookie that they accelerated the timeline and they didn't really allow other seeds to organically grow around him and they thought they could just patchwork it. And they missed on the guys that they went out, you know, the Gosder Sherrillises and the Ricky Jean Francois and the yeah. Andre Johnsons and the Frank Gores. You know, they missed on getting too aggressive too early. Maybe this forces them to be patient. Like, for example, and I wanted to get to this because you wrote a really good column about it. If you look at Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, you know, when they went out and, and they got Christian Kirk, people were like, wait, what? They, they overpaid for that guy. But he was a critical piece in allowing just the kind of stabilization of Trevor Lawrence. Is there blueprint? And you spent time around Trevor Lawrence, so I wanted you to shed light on what kind of guy he seems to be and how maybe there's anything that you can learn from the way Jacksonville has dealt with and groomed him that Indianapolis can take. Yeah, I think you're right about the mistakes of that last regime. We don't need to rehash it all because it's in the past, but they won too quickly. They won too Correct. fast in 2012. And Andrew was so freaking talented. And T.Y. as well, but Andrew mainly just expedited that rebuild, right? They were gutted after Peyton left because it wasn't just Peyton that left. Jeff Saturday was out the door, Dallas Clark, et cetera. And Andrew was so talented that he covered up all those holes that you started to see after he got hurt. We don't need to relive that. But to shift it to Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck have so many similarities. They love football. They're really freaking good at it. It does not define their entire existence. But what Jacksonville did was so fascinating because I'll go back to last year. This team is 4-8, and eight and they're struggling. And they go to Christian Kirk's house after a game. He calls his quarterback into, the, into that room, and he says, look, you need to be more demanding. Like You need to tell the offensive coordinator what you want, and you need to be more demanding with teammates. And so it's little moments like that where the veteran receiver comes in, becomes best friends with the young quarterback, and kind of shows them how to do it. Because coaches will tell you, any good coach will tell you, the best teams 
are run by the players. The best players take command. And again, this is Jacksonville, where by December every year, the entire fan base is usually checked out. Last year, they won like 9 of 10 to finish the season, and they won a playoff game and all that. So it's, it's not something you see on social media, right? They overpaid Christian Kirk. Or they can't believe they're paying this guy. Look at his stats. Like, there's so much more to it than that. There's so much nuance and context that goes into football that we don't see on social media. Um, and that's kind of what the Colts have to keep in mind. It's not just finding guys. It's finding the right guys. And that can pay off down the road. But like you said, Jake, you, you nailed it. Like, they won too fast. And that came back to bite them. And I think that's fresh in Jim Mercer's mind because they'll never really get over the fact that they didn't get more out of 12. They didn't get a full career because they moved on from 18 to go to 12. But um, I think this is the right move for Anthony Richardson. And, and the shame of it is, you know, you want to look at the good side. The good side is they're making the right move. He's going to get fully healed and he's going to be back for next year. They've learned their lessons in terms of expediting a quarterback's injury and seeing if he can just play through it. The good news, if you want to call it that, is I think they were, they were winning too much this year. If they're going to get that top five draft pick and go get a really, really good game-changing player, I felt like this team with Richardson and then maybe a little Minshew was going to win six, seven, eight, nine games. I mean, they were competitive. Steichen's good. Zaire Franklin and the defense were balling out. Now everything changes. Teams are going to game plan for Minshew. I mean, that Germany game against the Patriots, that's going to be a hard watch. Everything changes with Richardson out. It's a shame he doesn't get to play. But like you said, this might have a payoff that's hard to see now and three or four years down the line. When you look, speaking of three or four years down the line, I'm going to go back to your comments about Trevor Lawrence. And because, Zach, I think it has – Zach Key for our guest from The Athletic. I think it has implication, obviously, with the Colts. When Trevor Lawrence was in college – I probably told you, anybody else, I'm like, this guy has Peyton Manning-level look about him. His size, his accuracy, his intelligence. Um, and I was worried from the Colts' standpoint that he could get Jacksonville to stranglehold the AFC South like the Peyton Manning-era Colts had. Do we have enough evidence to say that Indianapolis is in a division where, in fact, Lawrence and the Jags can do exactly that, or is it more balanced than we thought? I don't know if we'll ever see, gosh, what's the stat? They won, the Colts won like 20 in a row, 20 division games in a row over several years. Right. Early in Ryan Grigson's tenure. And then with Manning, you know, they, they just completely owned the division for a long time. I'm not ready to go there that far. Um, CJ Stroud looks really good. And D'Amico Ryan has been terrific in, in Houston. And they just whooped the Jags a couple of weeks ago. But I feel like Trevor Lawrence, and I got to talk to him for a while, and we spent some time together. You know, he wears number 16. He wore number 16 because of Peyton Manning. But his personality is much more like Andrew Luck in terms of just how he approaches the game. But he's a real dude. Like, he's the kind of guy, like, the teammates, he, he's, he's authentic. He's about the real stuff. And this is what separates the quarterbacks that are good and the ones that are really great and last 12 years for the team. Like, Jalen Hurts has this. He's about the real stuff. He doesn't care about all the nonsense surrounding the position. He's about being there for his teammates. He's played through injury. He might do that again Thursday night. Um, I don't think they're going to have a Manning or Luck-type stranglehold on the di- division because D'Amico Ryans looks really good, and I think Shane Stockton is really sharp. The other team, I'm not sure about the quarterback in Tennessee. I just don't know about Will Levis. We haven't seen Malik Willis, whoever it's going to be down there after Tannehill's done. Um, but I think they're the team to beat. They have a Super Bowl-winning head coach in Jacksonville. 
And like you said, they went out and they spent a lot of money in free agency to bolster that roster, and it paid off in a big way last year. And this was the quote from Jim Irsay, the day the Jaguars took Trevor Lawrence first overall. He said, I'm going to have to deal with Trevor Lawrence for 10 to 15 years. Like, my luck. Like, he knows that he had Peyton Mannion for a long time and Andrew Luck for a couple years, and he knows that everybody was looking up to them in the division, and it feels like that has tilted because he knows how talented Trevor Lawrence is, and the Jaguars are just simply not going anywhere. Zach, what's been your favorite thing about shifting from being, you know, specifically a Colts writer to now being a feature writer league and nationwide? Getting out of the bubble, if that makes sense. Um, Look, I love covering the Colts. I love the people over there in the building. I love getting to know a lot of the players and sort of telling that team's story. But there's a lot of days where you're just kind of stuck telling whatever happens, right? And so it's if it's good, it's fun to write about. If it's bad, you write about it. But in this new job, I get to branch out and tell stories that take six to eight weeks to report. You get to talk to people you'd never usually get to talk to, which is maybe my favorite thing in the business. Um, I get to hear stories that I would never otherwise hear. And I get to see how the other half, you know, the other teams in the league are doing things. You know, I went down to Miami and spent time with them. And Josh, you know, Mike McDaniel and Tua are, especially Mike McDaniel, like just so refreshing to talk to them. Such a different personality, the way they see the game. That's fun to cover, fun to write about. Um, Got a lot in the can right now that I'm working on that just take a little bit longer. Um, On the road to Germany in a couple weeks to go watch Chiefs-Dolphins. That's going to be a great game to cover. Um, So it's been fun to sort of see the rest of the league, see how it works, um, and talk to the people that are having a lot of success in a lot of different ways. Zach, if you were – Zach Kiefer from The Athletic is our guest. When you write features on people, a lot of times as a feature writer, you know, you go in and and you you find a moment – for that person that tells their story or a moment that makes them different or something that's symbolic that's hanging on their wall, etc. If someone were writing the story of the last year of Zach Kiefer, what, <laughs> what is the moment that you realized yourself that you were living inside of a story and that you thought, I'm sitting at this table with this person or I'm in this location at this moment and this, in fact, is the story of Zach Kiefer? What is it? That is a fantastic question. Um, and that is what you do. You kind of look for moments and scenes. I always tell my students at IU, look for the scene that can tell the story better than a quote. Um, I don't know if this answers it, but I've got a good one for you. Um, last year was hard on everybody who covered the Colts. Let's just be honest, right? It was just a soap opera. And I had the opportunity to jump to this position that I've been now, right? National features writer. It was on the table. And I said, I'm going to finish out the season. And I was in New Jersey on New Year's Eve. And I was driving to meet Joel Erickson for dinner because we were there to cover the Colts Giants the next day. And my rental car had a flat tire. And I'm on the New Jersey turnpike. And it's pouring down rain. And I'm trying to change this tire to watch the Colts go to, you know, New York the next day and just get bloody. I mean, they they lost by like 30 points. I don't think they got a first down. It was just one of those games that's like, why am I flying out to watch this train wreck? Anybody out there listening remembers that game. It was just never close. And I'm just like, I think it's time. Like, I just, you feel a loyalty to the job. Like, you feel like you want to keep going and 
you build all these connections and these contacts within the Colts. And, you know, I covered them since Andrew's career and I wanted to see the next step. But in that moment, I said to myself, I think it's time. I think it's time to move on. So I decided I wouldn't leave my beat partner, James Boyd, hanging. Um, I would help him at least through the NFL draft. They drafted the quarterback. That felt like a good time to take the next leap. But um, I had already kind of made up my mind. But when I'm it literally changing a tire in the pouring rain in the New, Jer- New Jersey turnpike, getting honked at, that's kind of when it solidified, like, it's time to move on. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Zach, I did want to ask you about one national piece that came out yesterday. Of course, congratulations on, I mean, I know we talked to you a little bit during the summer when the move happened, but congrats on the national beat roll. So I'll put this on your desk as it came across the wire yesterday. What changes big picture in terms of the hiring process for coaches with the NFL voting unanimously to move the ability for teams to talk with employed personnel until after the divisional round of the playoffs? Yeah, it it just simplifies it a little bit. It's going to be a little bit longer of a process, but this really comes about because of the Jonathan Gannon situation last year. Remember, the Colts were trying to hire an Eagles coordinator, which they did in Shane Steichen. And the Cardinals eventually did the same thing, which they did in Jonathan Gannon. The reason the Colts could interview Jonathan Gannon and talk to him after the NFC Championship game is because they had already interviewed him one time. The Cardinals could not because they hadn't interviewed him one time. And so that call that was right after the NFC Championship game between the Cardinals' new GM and Jonathan Gannon to say, hey, congratulations, by the way, are you interested in our job? was tampering, was illegal, and that cost them the draft pick a couple months later. So it's going to shake things out a little bit. Um, I do think the hiring cycle is going to be a little bit different now. But, you know, there's all, all these rules these teams have to follow. And the hardest part, and I think that what they're trying to address, is that not every team is in the same situation. Like, right, like the Cardinals were the only team last year to go hire a new GM first. And then they do the coaching search. So they're a little bit behind. And they're also hosting the Super Bowl. And the Eagles, who were probably – ticked about this because they got a coach getting ready for the Super Bowl who knows he's going to have an interview for a head coaching job the day after. I just think that's too late. That's just too late. And so Eagles fans are mad because, you know, was he distracted before the biggest game of the season? It's human nature. Maybe, maybe a little bit. He says, no, I, I sat down, I sit down with Jonathan Gannon in August, but um, the reality is it should at least simplify that process and not make it so difficult to understand because every team is going to be in a different spot in that hiring cycle, but we'll see because it's the NFL and they never keep it boring for us. Zach, when you had that flat tire on the New Jersey turnpike, you had two choices. One is you could get a can of that fix a flat that you put inside of the tire and then the tire is kind of good as new, but it's really dangerous. It can combust at any time. And then you got a real (laughs) mess on your hands. And the other is you could put on one of those little donut tires that might have gotten you to, like, Hoboken, and then at that point they're like, yeah, you pretty much got as far as you could. Now you got to buy a new tire. Which which option is Gardner Minshew? Is he fix a flat, looks pretty good, but it's going to combust at any time? Or is he a donut tire? Gets you three games, but beyond that, you're going to start feeling the wear. Probably the latter. 
Probably the donut tire. Now, I, if you haven't lived until you've changed the tire in, in the MetLife Stadium parking lot, which I did after that game on New Year's Day where they lost by 30 points and uh, <laughs> whoever was playing quarterback. Anyway, blocked out of my mind. Gardner Minshew is, is everything you want in a backup quarterback. But like the great Mike Chappell says, the more you see these guys play, the more you see why they're a backup, right? That's what's going to happen, right? Gardner Minshew is great when he comes in when Anthony Richardson spots him a 14-point lead in Houston and he can finish the game. And he was great against Tennessee a couple weeks ago when Anthony Richardson went off, was it late first quarter, early second quarter, and Mitchell played well enough for them to deliver the win. But his worst two starts of the season were the win in Baltimore. He didn't play well that week when they knew he was going to play because of the concussion. And then last week, right? Like So I think the more you see of him, the more you're going to see why he isn't a franchise guy He's a great backup. I think you keep him next year because, obviously, if, if this year is any lesson, you need to sure. you need to have that guy around. Um, but I, I just temp, temper your hopes with Gardner Minshew. This is this team. I don't see this team making a run with him at quarterback. Lastly, the next story you're working on that we can read at the Athletic is what? Well, I've got like six in the works right now. Uh, which one do you want? Um, I am going down to Houston in a couple weeks to talk to the potential rookie of the year and C.J. Stroud. It seems like, you know, Anthony Richardson was going to maybe make a run for it, but it seems like that's C.J. Stroud's award to lose. Um, really interesting, like, draft process for him. Remember all the rumors about him being really bad at those tests and skipping out on the Manning Passing Academy? Um, he's balling out in Houston. They're changing things in Houston right now. And so I'm going to spend some time with C.J. Stroud and write about him. Do, do you want me to um... – send you a, a little guide or a map on how to get into the Astrodome? <laughs> Wait, have you got in there? I didn't I didn't know the story, Jake. I've only heard it like 12 times. It's the best. It's the greatest story of that's that's my moment. That's my athletic moment. It was when I broke into the Astrodome. Yeah, that's 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 the that's so like if I'm profiling Jake Query, the story starts out Inside of well, correct? truth be told, well, now, here's the other thing. Note, we could start that one anywhere. The other one would be the night that I went to El Coyote, which was the restaurant where Sharon Tate and her group went for dinner the night of the Manson murders, um, the last night. And, and when I went to El Coyote, and when I was in L.A. before I go to Cielo Drive every year, uh, they seated me at the same table that she had. So that that would be – it's one of the two. You take your pick. The Jake Query profile, it would six or 7,000 words. There's a lot in there. <laughs> Uh probably also wanted by the FBI too. They would want to read it afterwards. There's probably some truth no, to that. That's, all I want is interesting, man. All I want is interesting. That's right. Um all right, so you got CJ Stroud who I you're right, he's off to a fine start. He's a, and, and I'd loved him at a I don't like Ohio State and that's why I didn't like CJ Stroud because that dude could flat yeah. out I mean he was a laser focused thrower, man. I, I loved CJ Stroud's game. Yeah, I mean it was what was the quote? And you know, I did a lot of research on him. I went to his pro day in the spring and he looked at the cameras and he said, I am a ball placement specialist. And I was like, whoa, you better back that up if you make that quote. And so far, he, he is just ruthlessly accurate. I mean, it's just it's been fun to watch. And D'Amico Ryan has that team playing, like a team that was really asleep for a couple of years, churning through first-year coaches. Um, they've, been, they've been terrific. But, yeah, I'll be in Germany again for Dolphins-Chiefs, which should be a really good game. And then I've got some some other stories and – um, the '80s Chargers, man, I could I could talk your ear off about that team. I'm right about that team. As Dan well. Fouts, baby, Eric Coriel. Talked to him last week. Hell yeah, hell yeah. He's Kellen, a- John Jefferson, Kellen Winslow. Yep. Was Wes Chandler yep. with them? Charlie I always Joyner, get West Charlie. Yeah. yeah, hell yeah. Chuck Muncie, yep. big fan. Yep. 
Maybe rest in peace. Yep. Yep. You'll enjoy this one, Jake. It's it's wild. Love it. Love it. Zach, looking forward to following along. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Z Kiefer, national writer for The Athletic. Great debut. Looking forward to having you on again down the road, Zach. Anytime. Thanks, guys.